That dog has a stroller. <laughs> <laughs> that is not going to be the weirdest thing we see today. I have a feeling. This is Weird Religion, a podcast for people who know religion is weird, but love it anyway. I'm your host, Brian Doak. I'm an author, professor, biblical scholar, and I saw an amazing UFO documentary at my parents-in-law's house over Christmas <laughs> one year and tried to look it up later, but could not find it. It did not exist. Tell me the government wasn't involved. Wow. I'm your host, Leah Payne. I'm a professor, historian, author, and my favorite alien abductee has to be Kate McKinnon. For this episode, we are taking you on the road with us to the McMinnville, Oregon UFO Festival. That's right. Just around the corner from us is a town where there was a supposed UFO sighting in 1950. Each year, fans from around the world converge on the small town in Oregon wine country to compare notes on aliens, abductions, and extraterrestrial technology. This year, Weird Religion had to join the fun, and so we attended a documentary about Bob Lazar, famed UFO believer. Join us. Join us. today. I have a feeling. A dog in a stroller is not going to be the weirdest thing today for we are headed to the McMinnville UFO Festival, which raises the first and only question really that we need to ask, Leah, do you believe? I'll tell you this. I want to believe. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about that phrase this morning. Uh, I think about that phrase. I want to believe. What does that mean? Does that um, mean? Does that mean? <laughs> turn the radio on there briefly. I meant to turn the AC on. What? Here. Okay. Um, what does it mean? Yeah, what does it mean to want to believe? Like, doesn't if you want to believe, don't you actually believe? Okay, I'm going to go right to the Bible here, and then I want to hear your response. It kind of reminds me of the passage where this man is asking for healing from Jesus, and he's like, Jesus is like, basically, you have to have, you know, the kind of faith that would get you the healing. And he says, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And I feel like that's kind of the the it's like i believe i want to believe i i, I don't know does that make sense are you asking lord help me in my ufo unbelief <laughs> well i just think it, i'm so enchanted by the idea of life on other planets and the idea that unidentified flying objects have been heading our way that i want it to be true how about you i'm in the same boat <laughs> Uh, I'm in the same boat, but I also think it probably is real. I mean, something's going on. Something is has been covered up. Something is happening. Oh, okay. So I, what I like about that is you're going, you're into the conspiracy aspect of it. Oh, yeah, of course. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are people who know things that are shielding it from us. We know this. This is a fact. That's probably true. I mean, we know that happens in our workplace, so it's definitely happening on a macro level. <laughs> it happens in my marriage. <laughs> right. So we're driving to the festival with my newborn in tow, and we bit the bullet and purchased two somewhat <laughs> pricey tickets to see a premier um, UFO believers circuit speaker. I cannot believe we paid that amount of money. It was expensive. To see the, but <sighs> we spare no expense for you, a listener. Uh, so the UFO festival features, we gathered two crowds, two purposes. First, just basic local people walking around wearing joke tinfoil hats and right, UFO t-shirts right. and getting food from alien-themed street vendors and alien-shaped cups and things. Yeah, and then second, there were some hardcore ufologists. 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 It's like zoology. You don't pronounce that. It's a very difficult word. Um, And some real fans and some 
absolutely true believers. I, and we definitely want that second crowd, right? Yeah, the true yeah. believers. So we got tickets to see a documentary called Bob Lazar, Alia, <laughs> Area 51, and Flying Saucers. <laughs> I'm just laughing right Alia. now. Alia. Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> so I typed out the name of the documentary just now, and the way I typed it out, it's Area 51 and Flying Saucers <laughs> without flying. the G on the end. Flying, y'all. Flying Saucers. We're going to rope us southern, some saucers. It's the Southern version. <laughs> anyway, at the center of the documentary is a man. Okay, and speaking of which, another pronunciation issue. His name is Bob Lazar, L-A-Z-A-R. We, we wondered if maybe the name was pronounced Laser. Bob Laser, which would be better. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, so, so Bob Lazar a person we'd never heard of until the day of the festival, yes. but apparently very famous in the circles, is a, is a Roswell Area 51 kind of guy. He came to fame, I think, in the, sometime in the 1970s or eight, early 80s, or some, something, something like that. Mm-hmm. He was interviewed, kind of like his face was blacked out. His voice wasn't changed, but he didn't reveal his identity. And he was interviewed um, basically because he was claiming that he was recruited by the government to work at a place called S4, I think it was called. Yeah. A secret base near Roswell to reverse engineer alien spacecraft for the government. An alien spacecraft that had been recovered like in an archaeological excavation or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Right? Is that, he, was that the claim? Yeah, and well, definitely you had the right arrow because they had some um, old-timey clips of Bob when he was qu- a quite young man. I think mm-hmm. this is the 40th anniversary ah. of his um, revelations. Oh. And yeah, and he was uh, quite convinced and um, has convinced a number of people that he um, was privy to these alien technologies. In fact, there were long sections of the documentary wherein he is drawing supposed alien engineering, which was not as exciting as you thought it would be. Because, I mean, I texted you during the the documentary and was like, this is kind of boring, I got to (laughs) say. Aliens are not that exciting. Aliens, you know, they they kind of fly in the sorts of, of ships that we would think they would fly in, yeah. really. Um, which which reminds me of the, of the Roswell. I mean, the, the famous Roswell story back in 1947 when it was reported that a flying disc had had landed. It was the idea of a disc that aliens fly in a disc, kind of like a frisbee or something like that. Do you think that actually happened? Well, here's what I think is weird about it, and this is the only thing. And by the way, in what follows, I'm going to be mixing things that I remember and think might be true with what actually might be true. That's the best way to tell history. Okay, so look, like I. <laughs> There was a newspaper report in in this in the Roswell, New Mexico paper, whatever it was, the Roswell Gazette. I don't know what it's called. Okay, it doesn't matter what it's called. The Daily Record, I think <laughs> sure. it was called, nineteen forty seven, July eighth, Tuesday. Yeah, the Daily something. <laughs> and basically, you know, the headline is that is the famous headline: um, um, RAAF captures flying saucer on ranch in Roswell region. And the, as I recall, the Air Force itself reported this story. And said, yes, we have recovered a disc or something like that. Uh-huh. And there wasn't a lot that was known about it. But it was the Air Force itself that confirmed that this was what happened. Then the next day, suddenly they were like, oh, uh, actually, it was a it was a it was a weather balloon. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about the Air Force. These are sophisticated people. These are people who do not mistake a weather balloon for a flying disc. So like something was going on there. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong with that story. They try, you know, something's wrong there. And that's basically where this this legend of Roswell 
came up. Well, and that is something that McMinnville shares in common with Roswell, oh, New Mexico, yes. um, as I've heard it. And this could be wrong because I heard it from someone who worked at McMinniman's, which is the restaurant that sponsors <laughs> the UFO festival. Local restaurant. But what they say, we we love McMinniman's. We've been to probably 20. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so they say that McMinnville and Roswell are the only two sites um, the only two supposed UFO sighting sites that the U.S. government has not categorically denied. Really? Happened. Yeah. They didn't deny the McMinnville incident. Well, and something that you listeners should know if you're not from the area, McMinnville also is host to a quite large um, like airplane company mm, uh, nearby. Right. So, And it's been around, I believe, since the 50s. So think of that what you will. Yeah. Well, speaking of the 1950s, I- could you talk, could you speak for a moment about the religious impulse in the 50s that led to this kind of thing? I mean, there must be some kind of, there must have been some yeah. kind of American religious environment that goes along with this, if not spawn, I mean, maybe not caused it, but what's the accompanying religious mood Yeah, for all okay. This? So I read uh, this really interesting article a few years ago about um, this, this basically the state of American um, religion in the, 19th century that talks a little bit about like the relationship between technology and religion. Mm. And basically the the argument was that when the transcontinental railroad began, people started having new like religious and psychological interpretations of what was happening. So there mm. was this actually diagnosable disease called wanderlust Ooh. that was created by basically access to Railroads, you could go across the country. Oh. So there's kind of this idea that when there's technological in- innovation, people have religious um, interpretations of that technology. And um, so there's a guy, a guy named David Anthony Schmidt, who wrote an article called God's Strange Messengers mm. that I recently read. And he argues that fundamentalists, American fundamentalists, um, specifically this guy named Carl McIntyre, interpreted um, stories about alien technology in biblical scriptural ways. Nice. Yeah. And so basically he argues that the Bible um, basically uh, predicted that aliens would someday land. And there there was something like he he basically said that the space race was this apocalyptic thing that was happening. So he was interpreting the Cold War. Yeah, this is all nuclear kind of stuff. Yeah, basically. So anyway, he says that that's a a tool to interpret this present age is basically saying like, we go back to Revelation and we see all this stuff about space and technology. We are fulfilling that with... um, like basically UFO sightings and wow. creating yeah spaceships and stuff. It was really interesting. Random moment from Twin Peaks, the new series, which we'll talk about we'll on talk another about episode. It later. There's this moment where like there's a nuclear test, uh-huh. and the nuclear test in this like cosmic dimension spawns this evil being that gets sent to Earth, which then causes other cosmic characters <laughs> to create a good being to like fight the evil being or Whoa. something. So this nuclear thing was a really big deal. I guess we forget about that and what the Cold War really did to people in their minds. You're right. I mean, the Cold War was such a monumental experience for mm. most Americans. You and I were raised during the Cold War. And mm-hmm. I think that people, any big monumental experience, we can expect people, particularly Americans, to interpret things religiously, totally. right? Like they're going to have any kind of major experience. And that's why I'm going to make a bold claim, and we'll see if you agree with All me. Right. I think that religion scholars are the best ones to study 
UFOs and UFO phenomena. Oh man, we're gonna have to come back to that because that's a major. I think we are. That's a major we're gonna. Point. I'm gonna back it up later. But what follows for the rest of this episode are a couple of clips narrating our day, um, complete with background noise in the form of alien aficionados, and and then we follow that with some in studio reflections. Give ourselves a little bit of time to think through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's get back to the festival. So we knew we're definitely heading the right place. People are streaming to this building. People are running across the street right now. This is so. This is a key speaker in the Area 51 kind of thing. I'm so excited. I've been a huge fan of Roswell, both versions. So. People are bringing their own chairs. I hope there's room for us. I yeah. I hope this is worth it. We kind of paid a lot of money to get into this thing. <laughs> we did. We paid like the deluxe ticket price. Yeah, we're gonna. We're, we paid deluxe. We we've, we've got deck chairs here. We're bringing you on for the ride, along for the ride. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it is a packed house here and the energy is electric. It's electric in here. There's a there's a concession stand, they're selling pretzels. And also all kinds of alien gear. There's a yeah, there's like inflatable aliens. I thought by being here 15 minutes early there might be like crickets and 10 people, but Yeah, no, there are there's hundreds of people. It is jam-packed. It's jam-packed. There are no seats. Yeah. We're just kind of like standing on the side. Yeah, I think this is a fire code hazard right here. We have slipped away into a bizarre back area where Mulder would meet with a witness, potentially. Yes, definitely. But, or the um, cigarette man. Yeah, cancer man. Ex- cancer exactly. Man. But And they've got the Q&A going on right now. Leah, first impressions of the documentary. I just wish that we could do a whole series just on this documentary. I, I was writing, like, questions, question after question down. Um, but my first thought was... How, like, authenticity and, like, verification, like, all, I, I thought we could be watching um, a documentary in some ways about, like, the creation of the Bible, um, like, how they were talking about argumentation for truth and what is real. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, my, I, I was, I went into this, like, side reverie in my mind just about the power of assertion, like, in yeah. politics today and in life, like, just, like, being able to, like, look at someone and say, this happened. And then someone else is like, no, it didn't. Oh, yeah. And Actually, like, I was like, how would I view this five years ago before, like, the fake news era? It's an entirely different experience. Oh, totally. Because that's, that's, I think that's kind of, I was talking to some students about this thing. We were talking about history and evidence and so on just the other day. And I was talking about this thing. I, I just learned about it recently, but it's an old idea. It's called the Shaggy Dog Defense. What's that? Apparently there was this music star named Shaggy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was oh, like, it wasn't me? The song, it wasn't me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's just like, even if you're on tape, like doing something, you just say, nope, that wasn't me. I wasn't there. And he actually, I think it actually worked, but others have employed this defense, like, as well. Wanna tell her that I'm sorry. I know the song. (laughs) At any rate, you know, just that power of assertion is such a, such a fascinating force. Yeah. I, I, oh, we're, we're missing out on some of the Q&A. We should go back to the Q&A. We gotta get back to the Q&A. All right, we've left the uh, documentary and the Q&A because, and we're headed to the vendor fair. Leaving because it's just kind of repetitive. I don't know, is that, that's my criticism here. Yes, definitely. You hear the, it, and this is, okay, so this is my second UFO festival. Same thing oh, really? Happened. Yeah, same thing happened last time. I mean, okay, I highly recommend UFO festivals. One thing you have to get over is the idea that you have to get out of your head 
the idea that anyone's gonna look or talk like David Duchovny, but once you get that out of your mind, you can have a really good time, but you're just gonna hear the same things that you might see on someone's Wikipedia page again and again and again. But that's part of the fun. Yeah, I mean, it's not its not like they're going to like release bombshell new information in person on the spot. No, part of the joy, and I think that y- you mentioned that it felt like, in many ways, like a church service. It is like a church service in the sense that it's the joy is coming together and experiencing all these same stories again together. Yeah, I was standing on the balcony and I, we were just talking and I was like, yeah, this looks like a church service. Like, just the way people were clapping at things and... There's not a lot of skepticism in the room. You think like, oh, this is like the community that's skeptical of the mainstream. It's like, no, (laughs) they're skeptical of one thing, but then not another thing. Well, yeah, one question I had was like, what percentage of this crew would be, would count themselves as true believers? Like, because I I would say that we, you and I go in with a healthy amount of skepticism, but how many people here are like, yes, yes. This man is telling the truth, and I'm here to testify. Right. I mean, this. so this Bob Lazar guy, I mean, the basics of him is that he, you know, he claims that he worked for, like, an Area 51-type jet propulsion, anti-gravity kind of lab or something like that, and now he's revealing the stories. But there's, like, there are huge plot holes in this. Like, one plot hole is, like, I'm sure he signed, like, massive non-disclosure agreements. That he must be violating right now? And that he was 30 years ago when he kind of came out public with his, you know, information. So it's like, why didn't they just leap on that right away and put him in prison? Yeah, and apparently there's no record of him ever attending the schools that he said that he attended. Says he attended Caltech and MIT, which are very major places with a lot of good record-keeping, classmates, professors. There's, like, zero evidence that he attended these places. And also he got involved in some sort of prostitution ring at some point in time in his life. Yeah, there was that. And, you know, it just, uh, you know, and, 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 well, and of course they try to address this during the documentary itself by way of saying, like, well... You know, um, you know, don't focus on the minutia. You know, like it's like, well, the and it's like, why would, why would he, why would he, what motivation would he have? It's like, well, when people lie about things and kind of get into like these alternate storytelling worlds, like the motivation is like the attention that you get. Oh yeah, (laughs) and he's totally a celebrity. Like while we were, we accidentally sat right behind him, like directly behind him. And there were three or four people. The, re- the only reason why I knew who he was is that three or four people came up to him and, like, were like, oh, Mr. Lazar, thank you so much for being here. It is an honor. Like, that's what a good reason to lie. Yeah, I uh, yeah. I mean, I think I think the motivation is is, is is pretty clear for that sort of thing. But but the repetition and just the over and over again stuff, that has a church-like feel because it's like, it's just telling the community, like, this is what we value. Yeah. This is who we are. You clap at the right time. You ask the right kind of questions, you know. And I have to say that he was very nice throughout, throughout. Totally. Okay, so right after we were, like, right after we viewed the film, Mm -hmm. I think both of us had some critiques. But I (laughs) I think that we should, you know, just for the sake of fun and argumentation, let's just take this seriously for a second. Mm. So as a biblical scholar— is there any evidence for extraterrestrial life? Gosh, you know, I was thinking about this. What what would be a biblical basis for thinking about extraterrestrials? I think the first more spectacular passage that people would go to would be this very, very famously enigmatic passage in the book of Genesis, namely Genesis 6, 1 through 4, okay. um, wherein we have a scene in which the sons of God oh. have sexual congress with the daughters of men. The Nephilim? 
Yeah, well, the Nephilim kind of come in later oh, and are okay. ambiguously related to the sons of God, like okay. either the product of the union or the author tries to go back and say that the sons of God were the Nephilim, but it's not oh. actually clear from reading the passage. At any rate, what you have are beings, heroes of old and renowned, and people are living these extremely long lifetimes. And so I think if you go to a passage like that, you could be like, oh, there's like a biblical... It almost could function that passage as a biblical explanation, Genesis 6, 1 through 4, of the existence of mythological creatures and Mm. Gilgamesh and other gods and minor figures and demons and angelic beings and things like that. And so I think you could, I think you can see, right, how you could easily sweep aliens into that. I love it. Into that zone. The other thing that I think would come up and that's, that, that's fascinating is this idea that, um, that, that I think for instance, if, if, if if we made contact, right? Like if mm-hmm. aliens were, if 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 we knew, I think one thing Christians would turn to would be something like in First Corinthians fifteen. There's this statement about 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 Christ being or God being all in all, or okay. Ephesians chapter one. This idea that Christ somehow inhabits everything in the universe. Okay, and so you know, we'd have to kind of shrug our shoulders and like say, well, if God is all in all, like what does all mean? Like literally all, like not just Earth. Or right. not just not even just our solar system, not even just our galaxy, but it's truly like intergalactic, total universe kind of intergalactic planetary. Exactly, yes. it has to be that. It has to be that big. Well, I think that would actually in, this would be fun, and I'd like to see some hardcore like reform fundy scholars on Twitter talk about this mm-hmm. because maybe they'd get in an argument about like what does cosmos mean? You know, exactly. they get really into Johannine literature and be like, oh, totally. Yes, it's not just this Earth; it's the cosmos. And it's then there'd be people and, who right. are like, no, Jesus. Jesus came to this earth. This would be epic. Oh, I think it would create. I think. I think an alien contact would create massive problems for faith. And by, by the way, by problems, I don't mean only in the negative. I think it could be positive opportunity too. as well. Opportunities yeah. for faith. Yeah. Like, yeah. but it would be a big deal. Another passage people could look at where I think people have done some UFO speculation, like those kind of sh- channels, like ancient aliens. Yeah, yeah. You could yeah, go to yeah. the book of Ezekiel. Oh, that's the fun. opening vision, yeah. right? Because you have wheels, wheels within, within wheels. wheels and lights and animal faces and a very bizarre sort of specter there confronting the speaker, the prophet, who famously says, you know, he keeps saying, he keeps using the word like in Hebrew, ke in Hebrew. He keeps saying, I saw something like this. He's not really able to describe what he saw. And he's he puts, like the valley girl of the Old Testament. I saw like, it was like. <laughs> Like, I, like this. I talk like that. Don't make fun of Valley Girls. So do girls. I. So do I. Everyone does now. The Valley Girl became mainstream at some point. I know. When, she won. She, she's the, the winner. The triumph of the Valley the Girl. The triumph of the Valley Girl. <laughs> but so Ezekiel has this thing um, there. Oh, by the way, the word alien. I want to mention this. This is super fascinating. Okay, okay. Just the word alien itself, the word that we use for aliens, um, was is a word that I guess means foreign to a place or a thing. And was not actually a problem in the old. So this is a story of translation from the New International Version Bible, which is America's most popular selling Bible. I think the most popular selling Bible in the English language, the NIV, New International Version. The original NIV had translated a Hebrew word, ger, like G-E-R in English, which sometimes gets translated now like resident, alien, yeah, or yeah, sojourner, yeah. or something mm-hmm. like that. But it just has alien, or using this word alien. And after um, after the movie E.T., <gasps> the word no a- way. Yeah, the word alien actually had got traction culturally in ways that it just never had before. Like it had never been so closely associated with extraterrestrial exactly, life. Exactly. Interesting. But but you know, and and with with other, I don't know if it was even exactly that movie, but things like that around that time to where the point to the point where when the NIV needed to be revised, the translators thought that the word alien was no longer a suitable word 
What do they use? Foreigner? Well, or yeah, something? resident, alien, or foreigner. There are all kinds of like ways you can... I mean, the, the idea of a gare is somebody who comes from another country and yet decides to kind of journey along with you, which is very much like Israel's own story. They come out of Egypt. Okay, They're right. foreigners in their land. They're like foreigners Ruth. in that. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And so there's something about, about Israelite faith in the Hebrew Bible that is very sympathetic toward the idea of the, quote, alien, which made me wonder too, would people turn toward passages about the, the gare, the resident alien? Yeah. And in a kind of a twist, I mean, obviously... There was no thinking that the word alien or gary would be like that kind of alien, but like <laughs> right. maybe it'd be like, hey, how far can we stretch the boundaries of our community yeah. to include those who don't typically belong to the human species, but are also light years ahead of us technologically? Interesting. <laughs> I like that. So those are the kind of things that you could. Uh, those are the kind of things you could turn to. I think, but I, I think it'd be all over the place. I think it'd be tough because because it, you'd have to go into angels and demons kind of stuff, and I think a lot you'd find a lot of people saying that the aliens were demonic. I tell you who'd go with it. Who? The Pentecostals. Oh, yeah, They'd why? be down. Why is that? Oh, because as soon as you said, you know, like, which passages, I was already, I had childhood memories of passages from Revelation in my mind. You know, like the descriptions mm-hmm. of the Son of Man and the Beast and the Woman, you know. Right. They, they'd go for it. Oh, they'd be all yeah. over it. Oh, I want to mention, too, in one of the earlier audio, audio clips, this this power of assertion that we were talking about mm-hmm. in our little debriefing in the dark hallway. The shaggy defense. I, okay, I called it the shaggy dog defense. <laughs> it's actually just called the shaggy defense. But this power of assertion just saying, yes, this is true, or no, I don't believe this, or yes, I do. Okay, I just want to clarify. Shaggy defense, not mm-hmm. shaggy dog defense. If you're ever caught on tape doing something and you want to get out of it and there's no way out. It wasn't me. You just say it wasn't me. There is a way out. Okay, but oh, earlier though, you teased. You yes. said you said you wanted to make the claim that religion scholars are really the ones who should be studying UFOs and really were the best at this. Yes. Why do you think that's the case? Okay, well, I'll tell you, I've got two major Two main points. All right. Okay. So one is other people are terrible at studying this. Okay. So <laughs> I I was, you know, in preparation bad, for this. A lot of bad UFO scholarship yeah, out there. I was looking up and I found this article. Well, I won't even tell you what the article is because I don't want to be bad mouthing other scholars. But I found an article in the Journal of Aircraft and Spacecraft Technology hmm. that basically was, you know, is a, what is a UFO? Are a UFO real? And it was, that was the only question they were after. Is a UFO real? Okay, that was the, Mm. I'm like, out of everything that you could think of, of unidentified flying objects, the only thing is, is it real? And it was, so it was like a bunch of engineers like, well, I don't know. It could have flown like this. It could have flown like, these are what the records say. So religion scholars, in my mind, bring a whole set of valuable questions about what does it mean that people believe in UFOs? Like I was talking about that article about a fundamentalist. Like how how is it that religious people are integrating ideas about technology into their already existing belief structures? And how are they allowing those conversations about technology and like just this uh, questions about the great beyond to change how they see different like religious practices and stuff like yes, that? Yes, no, that makes so much sense because like, Listeners out there, kids, study the humanities. Don't go into STEM. Yeah, no, no, no. Don't STEM, go into STEM. Overrated. Overrated. Do you know? Do you know? All this you're is, gonna make is money. You want to talk about some science, kids? <laughs> Let's talk science. Science says this is real, real statistic. Out just the other day, and I think it was the Chronicle of Higher Education <laughs> yep. Inside Herod. Guess what percentage of STEM college graduates actually go into a STEM field for a career? How many? It's less than 50%. Well, here's the thing. So, yeah, just humanities. Just like take a shortcut and be a philosophy major or something. Boom. But the other thing about I think that. The reason why religion scholars, I think, are better equipped to study UFOs and UFO communities has to do with the fact that we study the way the communities 
themselves are formed. Mm -hmm. So like when you and I were at that film premiere, Mm -hmm. um, I had a baby with me. And so I was on the outside for a lot of it because he was crying and stuff. (laughs) But I was just people watching. I was watching all these people come in and out. And so the questions that I had as a scholar of religion, and I'm sure you had some of these same questions, are like, what are the kinds of people that are attracted to this, right? I mean, part of it has to do with a lot of the people that were the kinds of people who had time to be there. So a lot of retirees. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) there were also a lot of like, the true believer types. Oh, you there know? were some younger guys sitting up by yeah. us in the back too. They're like these concentric circles of belief, you know, like so that the outer people are the ones who are, you know, mm-hmm. they're just for the party. But the inner people are are a fascinating group. I mean, you know, totally. the extreme versions are like the hale uh, you know, right. community. But I think that's why we're the best. Yeah, I mean, we I, are the best. We are the best. But yeah, <laughs> I think in order to study UFOs and the community around it, you have to be poised to study belief. What yeah. is belief? Why do people believe the things they do? And also, how does belief connect to practice? Like attending something like this, almost like a kind of church service, or becoming this kind of congregation and, and embodying those roles and expectations physically in that moment. Yeah. So kids at home, I mean, you could become a scientist and make money, but then you could become a religion scholar and make meaning. Oh. It's beautiful. Okay, we've made it downtown to the vendor fair and festival area, Broadly, If there's a lot of people prepping for the parade, a lot of like Star Wars costumes, Star Trek costumes. Union Block Coffee has a UFO espresso, UF espresso drink. I saw saw someone that I thought was Jonathan Frakes, Frakes, but um, it turned out he just wanted to look like Jonathan Frakes. And I kind of had a fangirl moment for a, for just a second. Uh, well, those, Do you know who that is? You, no, I don't. But oh. those feelings you had were real. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I I was like, oh my gosh, it's him. So and you I got was like, to wait see. a sec. There's lots of people dressed up like him. Yeah, you got to kind of see. Um, you got to see how it was. Um, and you can walk on the street here. There's there's really the parade hasn't begun yet. I don't think. Um, we're walking against the grain. I don't, you know. I mean, I think in in truth, you got to go to these. You got to go to the, the the documentary screening and things like that for the real kind of believers. And then the rest of it is just kind of like a festival for a town to just revel in UFOs as a theme. Yeah, I mean, I think most of the people here are just excited to dress up and eat a corn dog. Well, we've gone to basically just ordering food and standing here. Yeah, but there's a band and it looks like they're going to have an alien dance, so that sounds fun. Yeah, it's kind of an alien-themed music, I guess. Sort of cosmic. They made a lot of, like, alien puns on the way out. The, there's a there's a kind of a fun parallel you could draw between the, the, the convention center where the speaker is and Bob Lazar as being, like, the key, the committed religious gathering. Yeah. And then this is kind of like people who just buy, like, you know, crosses on chains to wear around their necks and things like that. And there's a lot of swag around here. You can buy, like, keychains and stuff. Yeah, there are people who are, like, devoted believers in extraterrestrial life. And then there are people who just want to buy a Marzarita. <laughs> a Marzarita. Yeah, you know, uh, and it's a lot of very, very traditional imagery that you'd expect. Um, some people dressed up, though, and pretty committed. Yeah, oh, I love that. That's, you know, I would love that to be me if I had more time. If I had a different life, I would dress up. Yeah. I've never been good at dressing up. Oh, I'd love to do it. It's just, you know, that takes, like, time and money. It takes time and money, but I think there's some psychology to it as well. Yeah, let's try and get a picture with someone. Oh, these people next to us are pretty weird. Yeah, let's try it. Okay. 
We did get some hilarious photos at the festival. <laughs> we <laughs> we'll, did. We'll put those up on the socials, etc. Um, from the lighthearted to the serious, though, I want to just briefly consider this idea of the cosmic Christ. Um, Richard Rohr, uh, a very popular Catholic spiritual writer right now, has a book uh, called The Universal Christ. And this idea of the cosmic Christ has been... I don't know, it's been catching on in a lot of spiritual writing I've noticed lately. I, I think a basic definition, I just found this somewhere randomly on the internet, that the idea of the cosmic Christ can be defined very basically as this aspect of God that pervades all of creation. The Christ who fills the entire universe, all of its parts, like planets that are so far away, we don't know where they are, including the world before humans inhabited right. it. Um, and, and a verse in the book of Ephesians in the New Testament often gets brought in here, the idea that that Christ is filling the universe, making it all in all. I mean, it raises fascinating questions for Christians. Like, for example, if the if if our planet is X billion years old or however, I'm not a scientist, okay, don't blame me. <laughs> but if there were all these like millions of years before people ever came on the scene, what was Jesus doing? What was God doing in the world? And it would seem like this odd, bizarre waste to think that there's all this matter in the universe of which we are just this tiny little part. Mm-hmm. And like, it must have some significance to God. Otherwise you'd be like, oh no, God was just wasteful and created all this matter for no reason. And so this cosmic Christ idea, I think has been drawn into thinking about science and just like as a kind of endorsement of the material world and thinking about prehistory and all kinds of stuff like that. I I have noticed, and I want to ask you about this, Leah, Evangelicals have been embracing Richard Rohr lately yeah, with, yeah. with these ideas. He's trendy right now. He's trendy right now. And, and a lot of even Catholic spirituality practices are making their way into evangelicalism. I wonder, does this cosmic Christ idea, I didn't do it justice there, but just briefly, like, do you yeah. think that has legs for evangelicals, that idea? You know, it's funny that you bring that up because I think that, um, yes, definitely the cosmic Christ. I mean, there's some benefits to it. Like there's this sense of awe and maybe asking us to kind of think beyond our very— human-centric view of the world. But I tell you what, I think that the evangelicals, I mean, Richard Rohr is someone they should go to, but if there were ever an alien invasion or alien contact, we don't want to assume it's hostile. Um, I think that the evangelicals, I mean, yes, look to the Catholics. They've been thinking about things for a long time. But you know who I think that they need to look to? Are people like the Latter-day Saints, kind of like the fringy movements, who groups who've actually seriously thought about this idea, Mm -hmm. like, and have these kind of imaginative responses. So I think that they should go to the groups like that. Yeah. Fundamentalists, like the kind of groups that I was talking about, like that had this kind of, they seriously were like, okay, UFOs could come. We're going to think about it. There's already something And most people were like, yeah, no, you know, we're not going to think about that. That's a waste of time. So I actually think that, you know, if, if when it happens, you're, you're seeming to think that it's just when. Yeah. Um, I think that's who they need to go to. So you think this is how faith would change after contact with aliens, that there would be more, almost like more ecumenism and so on that would happen? Or would there be some other change that would happen? You mean a one world faith order? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what's going to happen, but I think that we'll definitely be asking different and maybe more creative questions. I agree. Okay. Look, it's time to come home from the festival. We got to leave. It's been wonderful. Driving home, I think to myself... Yeah, to be part of a community of belief is to gather at the same time, is to wear something similar, and is to proclaim together what you believe. I mean, that's a big part of it, to just do those things, right? Yeah, and I would add to that, to have like a a sincere, true love. We saw a lot of love in the room. There were probably like maybe 500 people there, would you say? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and they, they were 
all with one another. Like they were saying, they were saying, oh, at the same time, they were laughing at the same time. A lot of laughter at the same jokes and the same kind of moments, like. Yeah, and I didn't get all of them. And so I'm assuming that there were some sort of inside joke kind of things about like stories about aliens or alien objections. Yeah, I think, I think the, I think the, 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 the playfulness. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a certain kind of playfulness, I think, to the community that, that, you know, that tells us something about bonding, what it, what, what it means to bond with other people. There has to be a shared joke vocabulary. Yeah, I am a huge fan of these type of things. As you know, I love Renaissance fairs. I love UFO festivals. I just, I think that people feel so alone in this great big world and weirdly interconnected world that it's just so wonderful to be with your own people. And I, I saw a lot of that. And isn't that the great message of the UFO community writ large? We are not alone. That's exactly right. Hey, thanks for listening, weirdos. We love all our weirdos, near and far. For extras and extra nerdy Easter eggs on subjects covered in this episode, don't forget to click on the hyperlinks in each episode's description on our website, weirdreligion.com. And join our social media conversations about religion and pop culture on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Weird Religion. And we're YouTubing now, so find us on YouTube. YouTube us. <laughs> no. <laughs> These episodes were produced at Stone Bear Studios, engineered by Luke DiLorenzo and executive produced by Troy Wellstad. Our theme music is by Cassie Blum and our album artwork by John Williams. A special shout out to Portland Seminary for sponsoring the season and to trigger the studio dog. When you podcast, podcast with us. Bye.